Amen to that. Whoo! That piano came alive. Thank you, Tracy. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Wherever you are watching from, happy Sabbath to you from the historical district here in Middletown, Kentucky. I must admit, before I go on with my sermon, that I have mixed emotions this morning. I mean, I love you all, and I really miss you. I really do miss you. In fact, when I was looking at Pam's phone to see how many are watching, it really brought tears to my eyes. Because I like to hug you all, but uh, I guess we're going to reserve that for just a digital hug. It will be much more safer these days, right? And, but I want to say also that that's the melancholic emotion that I feel. But I also feel somewhat anxious, somewhat excited. Because I think for the first time in my 28 years of American life, I think Christians, you are Christians. For the first time, we have an opportunity to shine as never before. I think this is the time that God has given us to shine in the world. In fact, that's what my sermon is all about. What is this? I wonder, Mikey, if you can zoom in into this. This is a bulb, right? A light bulb. What was it designed for? To make light, right? This one in particular is a 100-watt bulb, so it makes a little over 1,600 lumens of light. Can this light bulb function by itself? Apparently not. It is, in my, it is in my hand, and nothing happens. There is no light coming out of it, right? What do I need to do? What do I need to do? I need to connect it, right? Can I connect it to the water line? What do you guys think out there? Can I connect this bulb, this light bulb to the water line? No? Why not? Why can I connect it to the water line? I mean, I can, but what you're saying is that it will not make any difference, right? So this bulb, in order to work, it needs, and in order to work as it was designed to work, it needs to be connected to the proper source. So I need to connect it to electricity. Let's see what happens when I connect this light bulb to electricity here. I brought my props with me today. So hopefully we can connect this bulb to electricity. See what happens. Whoo, voila! There is light. It shines. It dispels the darkness around it. Connected to the right source. Welcome back to the last sermon of this series, Staying Sane in an Insane World. Today, be connected. We'll study 
chapter 6 from the book of Daniel. Let's bow our heads one more time. Gracious Father, as we come to you this morning, I really want to pray that you will open our hearts to grasp a principle that's always been there. It is something that very often we neglect. And Lord, I pray that we will take it to heart. And this will be one of the tools we will use as we go, as we face the reality of our times these days. Thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Staying sane in an insane world. You know, when I, when I decided to do this series back in December, I had no idea how insane our world will go. Have no idea that I will be preaching to empty pews and lots of people watching live on YouTube. You know, Daniel has sinned a lot. He was brought back from Babylon when he was only about 17 years of age. Now he is into his 80s. He successfully graduated from Babylon University, Nebuchadnezzar's Ivy League school. He served faithfully under Nebuchadnezzar's kingship. And now is elected by the general who took over Babylon, by Darius the Mede. Daniel is nominated by this general. He's appointed by Darius to be at the top of his administration. And you can see that in verse 1 of Daniel 6. Last week, we learned of Belshazzar. What did we learn from Belshazzar, if you remember? To not, to, to face reality and to not escape from it, right? What did we learn from the three young Hebrews in the plain of Dura? That story is found in Daniel 3. Well, we learned that uh, you stay sane in an insane world by not conforming to it. Do not conform to the world and leave the consequences to God. Well, when you do not conform to the world, when we face reality as it is, we actually get in conflict with the world. In other words, we may not have the same perspective as the world have, has, and uh, we may not have the same opinion as favorable as the world. And when that happens, the world around us notices it. Some of it becomes jealous, some envious, some judgmental. And that's exactly what happened to Daniel here in chapter 6. See, governments have changed. Empires or superpowers changed. But Daniel remained loyal to the God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Verse 3 of chapter 6 of uh, Daniel says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself 
above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And we'll talk about that in a little, uh, a little later in our service today. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. My friends, Daniel is an example. He's giving us an example here. See, because of who he is, he is distinguishing himself from the rest of the world. The question I have for you this morning, do you, do I, do we distinguish ourselves from the rest of the world these days when the, Lord, the, the world is literally going insane in fear of this coronavirus pandemic? What made Daniel distinct from the rest of his generation? What made him outstanding? Well, speaking of Christians, Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Peter calls Christians special people. King, this, that's New King James Version. King James Version calls them peculiar people. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I know that's an old term. But what makes us peculiar? What distinguishes us? Is it because we believe in God's Word, the Bible, as the only normative for life? Most of the world does not believe that way. Not even all Christians believe that. Some Christians add science or tradition to their system of beliefs. Seventh-day Adventists uplift the Bible as the only normative for life. And we believe that everything we do must be accordance with this book right here called the Bible. What makes, what makes us stand out? We also believe that we are not doomed to death and perdition. There is more to life than this short-lived, painful, sorrowful life. There is eternal life. Eternal life given and promised to us by the God who created all we see and touch. We believe that there is a God who created all we see. And we also believe that that eternal life is promised to us as reality if we believe and accept the sacrifice of Jesus, His only Son, if we accept what He has done for us, dying on the cross so that you and I can have eternal life. Most famous Bible verse, we all know it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have 
everlasting life. We believe that Jesus will come again. That Jesus will come back the second time in a literal way. Not in some isolated place on earth. Not in secret, but visibly and audibly. Revelation 1, 7 says, For every eye shall see him when he comes back. And we believe that he is coming soon. In fact, what we are experiencing these days is not new to us. No, it's not new. Jesus told us that this will happen before he comes. My friends, this is not the end. It's just the beginning of sorrows before he comes. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verses 7 and 8, There will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. This, what we're experiencing today, what we're experiencing these days, is a sign of the end Jesus told us about. We know these things. That's what makes us distinct from the rest of the world. We also worship on the seven-day Sabbath. We keep it on the seventh day of the week. We keep it on the seventh day of the week on a Saturday because it is one of the commandments in the moral law of God. We call that the Ten Commandments. And we want to follow and obey all Ten Commandments. This makes us distinct, not only from the rest of the world, but also from the rest of the Christendom, for the rest, from the rest of Christianity. Seventh-day Sabbath is a sign between us and the Lord. Uh, Sabbath is a sign of loyalty and commitment to our God. He said in Ezekiel 20, verse 20, well, we live in 2020, what, what other... <clears throat> Sign can we take that Sabbath is important? My hollow my Sabbath, Ezekiel said, and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. God speaking through his prophet Ezekiel. As observing the seven day Sabbath makes us distinct. And we believe that one day we will live in a new earth where he will wipe away our tears. He will be our God and we will be his people living with him for eternity. Revelation 21, 3 to 4 says, God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Isaiah says, Behold, I create new heavens and new earth, and the former shall not be remembered. Whoo! I'm looking forward for that day. We believe there is more than just this life. We believe there, there is more than just this history. We believe there will come a time, and that time is coming soon, when our bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies, and we will live for eternity with our Lord and Savior. You can look up that mystery in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
verses 51 to 51. My friend, if you're watching this and if you've never heard this principle, if you've never heard these truths that comes from this word right here from the Bible, these principles that make us distinct from the rest of the, uh, the world, please write to us. We would like to help you to also become a Christian, a distinguished Christian this day. That's how Daniel was. Daniel was distinguished from the rest of his world. He was distinguished in Daniel 2. His friends were distinguished from the rest of the world in Daniel 3. And here in Daniel 6, when he is in his late 80s, Daniel is still distinguished from the rest of his peers and from the rest of the world around him. How did that happen, you may ask? How did Daniel maintain his stand? How did Daniel make it into his late 80s and his worldview, his system of beliefs, and his lifestyle never changed? What? How? Remember the light bulb? How is the light bulb giving light to its surrounding by being connected and staying connected to the right source, right? And when the opportunity to shine comes, when the opportunity to witness comes, look, Daniel shines. Now the question is, how was Daniel connected to the right source. But before we find that out, let's determine what or who is the right source of connection for us as distinguished Christians. Who is our source of life? Who is the source of redemption, the source of salvation, the source of hope, faith, and love? Who is that source? God is. As a pastor, I like to observe patterns of behaviors in people's lives. When someone does something either positive or negative, does it one time, I take it as a common occurrence. Well, it just happened to him, or maybe he or she just had a bad day. Or if it's something positive, maybe they had a good day. However, when someone does something or say things two or more times, I know that a pattern is forming and it needs to be addressed or paid attention to. If you've read the book of Daniel, the first six chapters from the book of Daniel... You may have already observed that when a crisis comes in Daniel's life, he does something that we all should do to stay connected with the right source. In Daniel 2 and in Daniel 6, when he was faced with a matter of life and death, like we are these days, what did Daniel do? The Bible tells us 
He went home and prayed. He did what? He prayed. What is prayer? Ellen White in Steps to Christ calls prayer or defines prayer as the opening of our heart to God as to a friend. Why did Daniel do that? Why did he go home or to his home and pray? Can we find another advice somewhere in the Bible on this matter? Did Jesus say anything about prayer? What is Jesus' advice on prayer? We find his advice on prayer, how to pray, when to pray, and where to pray in his Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 5. And when you pray, Jesus says, you shall not be like hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. What Jesus is saying, you ought to be better than the hypocrites. Here is what they do. They pray in the visible places to create an impression, to create an image that they're better, that they're holier. No, they're not, Jesus said. Don't do it like them. Is it okay then to pray in church? Of course it is. Jesus also said that this house, referring to the temple, should be called a house of prayer for all people. And even though you can pray at church... That is not how you establish a personal relationship with your Savior. That's not how you establish a personal connection with your God. Not in public and certainly not for the wrong reason. You don't pray to be seen by others. You pray because you want to connect with the right source. How do you do it? How do you connect yourself with the right source? Like Daniel did. And as Jesus said, as he advised about you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father. Prayer, my friend, is a private business between you and your creator. Prayer is a private, intimate relationship between you and your Savior. That private relationship, just as it is portrayed in the Bible as a marital, intimate relationship, that relationship communication is not for a world, the world to see. It's between you and God. And Jesus says, pray that your Father who is in the secret place and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Since He's in the secret place, you can tell Him your secrets and you can tell Him your needs. And when you pray, 
Jesus says, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. My friends, God knows our needs. God knows us better than we know ourselves. The purpose of prayer is to connect, to develop that intimate relationship with our Father in heaven, to develop that intimacy with Him. Did you know that intimacy is about being honest? Being honest and open. I don't know if you've seen this before, but intimacy stands for into me see. If you want to develop an intimate relationship with someone, you've got to be honest, open, and vulnerable. Otherwise, that relationship will just stay a common and surface relationship. Jesus is telling us here that he wants to have an intimate relationship with us. He wants us to be open and honest. He wants us to open every room in our heart and let him in. Let him come in and do the cleansing that's necessary. See, when Daniel was faced with a life or death situation... He went to his upper room and prayed as was his custom. Notice in verse 10 of Daniel 6 that Daniel has been doing this for a long time. Verse 10 says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, talking about the decree that went out, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since when? Since the early days. Wow. My friends, Daniel has been connected. He had he had a strong connection, an intimate connection with the right source, the source of life. He's had that connection for decades. Think about it. If Daniel kept that praying habit since he was 17, he must have prayed close to 80,000 prayers. I put them down. It's about 77,745, but I, I, you know, I don't know when he started. I just want to say that. And you may say, Pastor Marius, how do I pray? Well, same question was asked by Jesus' disciples. And Jesus said this, In this matter, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven. I want you to look at the pronoun here. Our Father. My friend, that's not your father, that's not my father. This is our Father. God is our Father in heaven. That puts us all on the same level. No matter who you are, where you're coming from, what race, gender, or age you are, God is our Father. 
In his sight, we are all the same. He is our source of life. And he is our father, not on earth, but in heaven. Think about that. He transcends all that is earthly. He transcends all that is limited and finite. God is our Father in heaven who sees us from heaven with a different perspective, a perspective we can never have here on earth. God is our Father in heaven with limitless solutions to our problems and with infinite resources. My friend... This is the hope. When we pray to our Heavenly Father, we are connected to countless solutions and have infinite resources. Wow. I don't know about you. That gives me so much hope. When this world is struggling to find a solution to our problem these days, He has it. We just need to connect with Him. And Jesus said, hallowed be your name. My friend, this God, this right connection to our life has a name and a character that it is hard for us to even begin to comprehend. He is holy. He is like nothing we can think of. He is holy. That means Clean, pure, distinct as nothing we can imagine. So when you and I pray, please revere him as such. He is worthy of our reverence and respect. Your kingdom come. Jesus teaches us to always desire his kingdom to come. See, Jesus does not want us to be complacent and to love or get used to the kingdom of this world. He wants us to desire His kingdom. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants us to ask for His divine will to be revealed in our life. My friend, you and I were created for a purpose. We were created to do His will. What is His will for your life? What is the will for my life? Pray for it daily, and He will reveal it to you. Then Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. What Jesus is teaching us here is it's okay to pray for your physical needs such as food and pray daily for them. Notice Jesus does not teach us to pray, give us our food for tomorrow. <laughs> he taught us to be fully trusting and to ask him for today's needs later in that same chapter in verse 34, Jesus says, Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I want to ask you this. Have you tried to project what will happen in a month, in three months, in six months with this pandemic we're facing? It becomes overwhelming, isn't it? Jesus said, I highlighted in yellow on the top of the screen, do not worry 
about tomorrow. That, my friend, makes us distinct from the world. The level of trust we have, the level of intimate connection we have with our God makes us distinct from the rest of the world. And forgive us our debts. Well, I can say immediately I can think to about my financial debts. Lord, please forgive us our credit card debts. Forgive us our mortgage debts. Forgive us our any loan debts. But that's not what Jesus is referring to. See, we're all sinners in need of a, sin, a Savior. And as we have sinned, we became indebted. We became debtors needing to pay our debt of sin. And since we cannot pay for our sins, we ask for forgiveness, spiritual forgiveness of sin, which only God can offer. Forgive our sins as we forgive our debtors. Has anyone sinned against you lately? I know they had. Because as long as we live on this earth, as long as we live on this planet with sinners like us, we are sinned against each day, every day. This is what this line of the Lord's Prayer teaches us. When we ask God to forgive our sins, we promise Him that we will also forgive others what they sinned against us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The world is full of temptations, and all temptations, regardless of what it is, it is a cunning device from the evil one. He is the one who wants us to sin, and since the wages of sin is death, he wants us, the devil wants us all dead. Jesus advised us to pray daily to be delivered from the evil one. For your kingdom, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You know, as we study Daniel chapter 2, we know that at the end of earth's history, God's kingdom, that stone that Daniel talks about that Nebuchadnezzar saw in his dream, that stone that was cut out without hands, destroyed all other kingdoms and had become a kingdom that will stand forever. My friends, that's how Jesus taught us to pray. And Daniel prayed three times a day. See, Daniel's story gets more exciting as it, as it goes on. We don't have time to go through all that to the rest of his story. You can read that rest of the story in Daniel chapter 6. Read that for yourself. But see, Daniel could have in the face of the death decree, he could have simply given in to fear 
and let fear dictate how he should live his life. But Daniel didn't do so. He stayed connected. In fact, that is how fear disappears. Apostle Paul, in his second epistle, encouraging Timothy, he writes this, For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but rather a spirit of power and love and sound mind. Daniel 6.3, early in the chapter, tells us that in Daniel there was an excellent spirit. Could it be that being connected with the right source changed his life and Daniel radiated an excellent spirit of power and love and sound mind? My friend, Daniel had all three of them. He had power, love, and sound mind. This question is for you today. Do you want to stay sane in this insane world? Do you want to have an excellent spirit within you? A spirit that is opposed to fear? Be connected and stay. Stay connected with the source of life like this. Would you like to see how you and I can even get stronger? I want to go back to this light bulb illustration. This light bulb can only dispel darkness around it when it's connected and stays connected to the right source, right? We can't connect it to the water line. We gotta connect it to electricity. And this is what's even more fascinating. You are this light bulb. When you connect with God by an intimate prayer life, you will shine just like that bulb right there. You saw what I did. I put it in. And when it got connected to electricity, it shines. But watch this. I'm going to do something else. I don't know if Mikey can zoom this in. But I'm going to connect this bulb to the same source and connect them together. Can you zoom in here? Yes. See, I'm going to connect these two. And now I'm going to have this bulb. Oops, if I could do that. I'm going to connect this bulb to the right source here. Let's see what happens. Look at that. We both shine. And our light, to get, our light together is bigger and stronger, and it dispels more darkness. You get the point. My friends, you and I are in Christ, and because we're both in Christ in the same source, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And as we connect with God and connect with each other, an excellent spirit permeates our surrounding. Not a spirit of fear. Not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, of love, 
and of sound mind. It is an excellent spirit. And I pray that this excellent spirit will be in all of us these days. Amen.